like to speak to you on the subject, how to walk on water. From Matthew 14, 22 through 33. How to walk on water. And I will use water as a metaphor for all powers that are against a Christian, against the church of Jesus Christ. Recently, we took our daughter Sharon to a private Christian college 3,000 miles away from here. And it was not easy for us to leave her there and come back. We naturally wondered whether everything will go right for her, whether she will eat, whether she will sleep, whether she will go to class and whether she will be all right. She had to learn to live away from parents. And we all have to learn how to be independent in a scriptural way and responsible. But we trusted in God to take care of her. I left home when I was 16, so I thought maybe she will be able to survive at 18. In the passage before us, Jesus compels his disciples to get into a boat and go across the lake westward to Capernaum without Jesus. A new experience, of course, for the disciples. It is understood that Jesus would join them later. They did not know how he would join them or when he would join them. Their faith needed to be tried. They needed to grow up in their faith, in their knowledge of who Jesus was. Jesus, as you know, just performed a great miracle of feeding over 10,000 people with five small barley cakes and two fishes. The crowd was pleased and wanted to make him a king, we are told. They were looking for a PM, meaning a political messiah who would deliver them from the Roman yoke and usher in a time of great prosperity, a golden age. Even the disciples were looking for a PM, a political messiah. Jesus could not allow this to happen. It would be disastrous for his mission. It would cause Rome to take measures to put down the rebellion. So Jesus compels the disciples to go away without him. He then dismisses the crowd also. Satan wanted to make Jesus a king before, of course, during the temptation. Now Satan is working through the crowd to make him king. But Jesus will not be distracted from his father's mission. 
So Jesus went up into a mountain, we are told, to pray, to commune with God, and he was praying for over eight hours. He prayed that his father would help him in fulfilling his redemptive mission through his death on the cross, through the way of God-ordained humiliation. I'm sure he also prayed for his disciples who were away in the boat. An analysis of his prayer in John 17 reveals that he prays not only for himself, but also for his disciples, also for his church, for you and for me. We are in his prayer. Jesus Christ ever lives to make intercession for each one of us so we can have great confidence as we live our daily life in this evil world. We told Sharon that uh, she could count on our daily intercession for her as she struggles there in her college life. And she will live because one who is greater than me is praying for her, Lord Jesus Christ. So we look at a few points in this passage. First, Jesus sends the disciples. Jesus sends the disciples. He commissions them to go across the lake. Jesus, we are told, made the disciples to go on to the other side. The Greek tells us that they didn't want to go, but he compelled them to go without him. Disciples did not go on their own. They were sent by Jesus Christ. If Jesus sends us, then it must be all right. We will arrive at our destination in spite of troubles and severe problems. You remember Jonah, he did not go where Jehovah sent him. He went his own way to Tarshish. When we go our own way, we cannot expect God to help us. So God sent a storm and Jonah was thrown overboard and was disciplined. But here the disciples are going according to the commission, according to the will of Jesus they did not want to go without Jesus, but Jesus forced them to go without him in order that they can grow in faith. And they went in obedience. The weather was pretty good. It was calm. And they set out on their way. But soon the calm will be gone. Storm will arrive. Some people believe if we are sent by God, if we are going in the pathway of God, everything will be all right. No trouble, no storm would face us. No persecution will come our way. No sickness, no poverty. We will all live in such peace and great prosperity and in great health. Oh no, that is a false view. Jonah faced a storm because he was disobedient. But obedient Christians 
should not face any trials according to some people. Not true. Obedient Christians who are led by the Spirit of God will be tried and tried very severely. The calm will be changed to a storm. It is the storms of life that tries our faith, not the calms of life. It is the storms of life will, that will cause us to be aroused and awakened that we may trust in Jesus Christ alone. They headed westward. All was calm. Suddenly, fierce wind arose. And from the wrong direction, the wind arose. They were going west, and the wind came from the west. It was in the contrary direction. Wrong direction. We wanted wind. We want wind, but coming from the right direction, so it will assist us in our going forward. But instead, we face storms that are against us, headwinds. Yes, the wind was contrary. The wind was against them. It came from west. The sea was rough. The waves were battering against their boat. They probably were tempted to change direction and go back so that the wind will assist them. But they are disciples. They are believers. Believers obey the command of Jesus Christ. Therefore, they did not change direction to go eastward. They were straining, we are told, at the oars. They were struggling in their obedience to Jesus. They are believers. What is going to happen to them? Will they drown? Will Jesus come to join them? Does Christ see their troubles? Or out of sight, out of mind? Yes, not only Jesus commanded them to go, but we see a Jesus who is praying for them. And so when you look at verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside alone to pray. Yes, we have a Jesus who commissions us, and we also have a Jesus who intercedes for us, Praying for us. Praying privately. That's very important for you and for, for me. Should be public prayer as well as private prayers. Here we see Jesus Christ praying for a long time. I'm sure he prayed for himself that the Father would strengthen him. Keep him focused on his mission. That he would disclose to him his will. And he was thanking Heavenly Father for providing food for the multitude of people. And he was thanking him for keeping him from being proclaimed as the political Messiah. He was also praying, I say, for the disciples who are alone upon the stormy sea. 
that the Heavenly Father may protect them and save them. This prayer reminds us of the prayer of Moses in the book of Exodus, the 17th chapter, you know. Amalekites came against the people of God. And Moses commissions Joshua to go and fight against the Amalekites. But Moses himself went upon a hill, lifting his hands in prayer. Of course, his hands grew weak and they drooped. And so you read that Aaron and Hur helped Moses and held up his hands. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, we are told, the Amalekites were winning. So Aaron and Hur held up Moses' hands so they would not come down. And so the conclusion is Joshua defeated the Amalekites with his sword. But here in this passage on the mountain, Someone is praying to the Father for the disciples, for the church, for you and for me. While the disciples were being buffeted by the storm and by all the waves, he was praying for them. Will they be defeated by the storm? Will they be drowned by the waters of the sea? But praise God. The one who is praying for us is greater than Moses. He needs no assistance of, of an Aaron or a Hur. His prayer is always effectual. He is not a sinful man. He is the eternal son of God. He is the man without sin. He is praying for us. So no contrary wind can destroy the disciples or us. No fire, no storm, no flood, no enemy can ever defeat us. And then point number three, Jesus is seeing us. In the book of uh, Mark chapter 6, this point is given to us by Mark. Jesus is not only praying for us, but he sees us in our struggles. Mark 6:48, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Yes, think about this. It is darkness. There is a contrary wind. Waves, boisterous waves, battering the boat, the absence of Jesus, and the struggle of all the disciples at the oars. And yet, somebody sees us. Somebody who, who is able to do something about it. While he was praying, he also was looking in the direction of his disciples. This Jesus is God. He is omniscient. Nothing is hidden from his sight. He sees all things, especially his eyes are upon us, his disciples. 
So he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. It was he who sent us there. He knew the wind would be against us. It is the contrary wind that tries our faith and causes its growth. There has to be contrary wind. Do not ever think that he does not know our condition. Jesus knows. He who is seated on the right hand of the Father as Lord and Christ sees us. He intercedes for us. He has saved us. He is saving us and he will save us. Yes, Jesus commanded us to go. Yes, Jesus is praying for us. Yes, he is seeing us in all our struggles. We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. And number four, not only Jesus commanded us to go, not only he prays for us, not only he sees us, but he comes to us. He comes to us not when we want him to come. He comes to us in his time. And so we are told in the Bible that he came at the fourth watch. That is after many, many hours. Fourth watch is between 3 and 6 a.m. They probably got in the boat at 6 p.m. And here Jesus Christ comes in the fourth watch. Has that happened to you? You want him to come right away. We are like little children. But anything happens, we cry. He doesn't show up. He comes at his time. As you see in the case of Lazarus. He was sick. Jesus was told, your friend is sick. But he refused to go. And he went after his death. Behold, he is thinking. The delays of Jesus is the delay of his love. But he always comes in the right time. He comes in our weakness and in the extremity of our weakness. Not only he sees our struggles. But as he promised, he is coming to us to aid us. See him coming to you. He is walking on the sea. In the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. Job chapter 9 verse 8. We read this. God who alone stretched out the heavens and walk on the sea as on firm ground. I was reading Professor William Barclay, a Scotchman. Of course, he always, a great man, a fine mind, but he always has problem with the deity of Jesus Christ and with his miracles. Professor William Barclay cannot really believe that Jesus Christ was walking on water. Oh, he would rather interpret it as Jesus walked on the shore of the lake. 
All who doubt the deity of Jesus will have a difficult time to see our Jesus walking on water. As on firm ground. Because he is the Lord of the waters. Jesus walks on water. Jesus has defeated all enemies. On the cross and made them a public spectacle. Jesus triumphed over all enemies by his death. No waters can drown him. He is the eternal God and he is the redeemer of his people. He has conquered over sin and death and devil, the world and hell. He walks on the waters and by faith we can and we are walking on the waters. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's turn to the book of Isaiah. And the 43rd chapter. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob. He who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Yes, he sent you. Yes, he is praying for you. Yes, he is seeing you in all your straining and in all your struggles. And he is coming to you walking on waters. Moses did not walk on waters. He, by the power of God, divided the Red Sea and Jordan. But Jesus is greater than Moses. He needs not dry up the sea or river. He walks on it. For he alone is God and Redeemer. And in Isaiah 49 verse 26 we read this. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh. Then all mankind will know that I the Lord am your Savior. Your Redeemer. The Mighty One of Jacob. Do not think he is a ghost. Do not think he is an enemy from the netherworld. Trying to destroy you, no. It is your Savior who is coming toward you. It is doubt and unbelief that cause us to think that this Jesus Christ who is coming to you, walking on the waters, is a demon or a ghost. Oh no, this is Jesus Christ himself. In order to recognize him, we must have faith in our Christ. We must believe the word of God. We must abide in the word of God. And he says this, do not be afraid, take courage, it's I. No one can have courage unless Christ is priest. All the people, all the pulpits where Jesus Christ is not preached cannot tell their people to take courage. It is Jesus Christ who is granting us the courage and the confidence to face the waves and the wind. No one can have courage unless Christ is proclaimed. Professor Barclay, you cannot tell people not to be afraid unless you first proclaim to them a Jesus Christ who is the eternal Son of God who became man. 
It is I, Ego, Amy. I am. He's not simply saying, you know, I'm a human being. Or I'm mere Jesus, your friend. When he said I am, he means I am the eternal one. The self-existent God before Abraham was, I am. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. I am the Messiah. I am from above. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door. I'm the son of God. I'm the resurrection and life. I'm the Lord and master. I'm the way, the truth and life. And I'm here to help you and save you and to cast away every fear that is in you. Courage comes to us when we know experimentally and personally who Jesus Christ is. And number five, he commands us to walk on water. You see, Peter Understood, he easily recognized by the voice, just like Mary Magdalene recognized when Jesus, after his resurrection, called her name Mary. Immediately she recognized and said, Rabboni, my sheep will hear my voice. So Jesus knew, Peter knew that this is Jesus Christ. And he says, since it is you... Because it is you, the I am, the eternal God, the Lord. Will you command me to come to you? No, no, no. He's not asking permission to show this wonder of being able to walk on water. No, no. He wanted to come to him. He wanted to have fellowship with Jesus Christ. Since it is you, bid me to come to you. Come! That was a command from the eternal God saying, Come, walk on water. Come! But how can you walk on water? By faith in him who is walking on water. He has conquered all enemies for us. In him we are also able to walk on waters, trample upon all our enemies. We are told to resist the devil and he will flee from us. But we should know who he is. We should know what he has done on the cross for us. He bids us all to walk on waters, mighty waters. And you see this Galilean, this fisherman who was used to waters, but now he steps out of the boat and plants his feet upon the waters. And the water supported him. This tells we can walk on water, we can resist the enemies, and they will flee from us. Do not think the waves can drown you. There is one who is with you, who is the creator and our redeemer, Be focused on him. Do not doubt. Do not have two minds. When Peter doubted the ability of Jesus, he began to sink. But he cried. And Jesus immediately lifted him up and planted again his feet upon the waters. 
He did not carry him. He said, he lifted him up and put him down. And he walks again. Don't carry him to the boat. Jesus wants us to learn to walk on waters by faith in him. Why did you doubt oligopiste, Mr. Little Faith? Did I not command you to come? Did you not walk on water? Did you not know that I am with you? Did you know, not know that I am the Lord? Why did you doubt? Did you not know that I am the Savior? James says a double-minded man is unstable. In all his ways he sings. But Mr. Little Faith is a believer. He's a Christian, just like most of the Christians. And therefore, he believes and he prays and he cries, Our Lord, save me. And immediately he saves. Let me tell you, doubt sinks us. And prayer of faith will lift us up. And once again will plant us upon the waters. Able to resist the devil and resist the enemy and resist everything that is negative. So St. Paul says, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengtheneth me. The issue is focusing on Jesus, thinking about Jesus abiding in the world, word of God. Remember Joshua and Caleb, the minority who brought this report, the majority said there is no way we are able to defeat them. We cannot walk on waters. No one has ever walked on waters. Oh no, Joshua and Caleb, they believed in God. They said, they see if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land. And then they said, their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. He learned how to walk on waters. Or look at David and Goliath. Little David says, in the name of the Lord, I am coming against you. That is walking on waters. Sons of Korah in the 42nd Psalm says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God, my Savior and my God. And Jesus says this to Martha, 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 you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary was sitting at his feet. Only one thing is needed, that is faith in Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Abraham was told by God that this man will have a son and Messiah will come through him. Of course, he was 100 years of age and we began to wonder what was happening. And you go home and read Romans 4. He was fully persuaded that God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were had the power to do what he had promised. Jesus said, take courage. I have overcome the world. He's walking on water. And he wants us to walk on water. The writer 
to the Hebrews, he says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Look unto him and be saved all the ends of the earth, says Isaiah. That is not a casual once in a lifetime look. It is a keep on looking and focusing on Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, our redeemer, the mighty one. Know that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or future, nor any powers, neither the height nor depth, or anything else in all creation can sink you, can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 this, you know, he assures us there is going to be winds and storms. And so he says in the sixth chapter of Ephesians, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But he has defeated them and made them a public spectacle for us. So that we can wrestle against them, resist them, tremble upon them, walk on waters. He wants you to know that we all are grasped by the hand of Christ and the hand of the Father. I give them, he said, eternal life. They shall never perish. None will snatch them out of my hand. Number six. He comes to our boat. He who has promised to come will come to us. God is not a man that he should lie. The hope of the church is the second coming of Christ. Isn't that true? This is the blessed hope that causes us to live a focused and sanctified life. Not loving this world but in the world to come. In the... In the, in the meantime, there is darkness, there is storm, there are boisterous waves, there is the absence of Jesus. You see, even when Peter was walking on waters, there was still the wind and there, was, there were still the waves. He didn't still them. God was teaching us to walk on waters while the waters are at its greatest power against us. But he has redeemed us by his death and resurrection. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. Seated on the right hand of God the Father. He is interceding for us. And not only that. We are told he has sent us the Holy Spirit. Another comforter. He is indwelling us. He will guide us through the darkness. Through the storm. Through the wind. Through our wrestling against principalities and powers. And this Holy Spirit is training us to grow in faith and walk on water. But soon our Lord shall come down to us. For the Bible says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. 
with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. I feel sorry for every person who dies without Christ. And I bless the Lord for every person who's, who is dying in Christ. And the dead in Christ will rise first after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then Paul says to the Thessalonians, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Hallelujah. No more separation. No more absence. Hallelujah. The church will be with the Lord forever. He's coming again. Isn't that wonderful? Praise you, O God. Shall we rise? And let me ask you whether you have trusted in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Let me ask you whether you are struggling against the storms and the winds, straining. Let me ask you whether you are wondering whether Jesus has forgotten his commission, whether Jesus has forgotten that we are struggling at the oars. Have you thought about that? Does he know? Does he understand? What's going on in my life? <laughs> Why is he not coming? Let me tell you, he comes at the right time. And the right time is his time, not your time. He is not coming at your time so that you can learn patience. Tribulations work of patience. Are you being scared as he comes? You think he is a demon, a ghost from the netherworld? Some power that is outside of the control of Jesus is being unleashed against you? <laughs> oh no. Hear his voice. My sheep will hear my voice. Ego Amy. I am. It's I. Your Lord, your Savior, your God, your Master. It's I, your Shepherd. It's I, your friend. It's I, your older brother. Hallelujah. Will you ask him? <laughs> oh, Oh, Lord Jesus, this is interesting. This is wonderful. These waters are not drowning you. Oh, teach me how to live a victorious Christian life. Uh, teach me how to walk on waters. Hallelujah. Bid me to come to you. Not so that you can go and pride yourself and say, you know, I have done this and I have done that. No. Oh, to have fellowship with such a Christ who walks on waters. Don't be, feel ashamed for our murmuring and our grumbling. Any little trouble. 
every eye closed and every head bowed. If this word is ministering to you, then lift your hands and I command you and beseech you trust in your Savior Jesus Christ. He is for you. If God is for me, who can be against me? Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus died. More than that, he is raised to life. And is seated on the right hand of God. And he's making intercession for you. Hallelujah. Never doubt the love of Jesus Christ for you. If you never trusted in Jesus Christ, I exhort you to trust in Jesus Christ while you are alive, that you may be able to die in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we pray for all these people who have raised their hands. And I pray, O Holy Spirit, to make this word alive in their hearts that they may be trained to face the storm that is contrary to face the battering of the waves and not only that that they may be trained to walk on waters and live hallelujah for we pray In the name of Jesus Christ of the Lord. Amen.